Welcome, dear listener. I'm Gary Sell, inviting you to Writer's Radio, broadcasting the beautiful, fanciful, and engaging work of talented writers from our neighborhood and yours. Rachel Rose is a Canadian-American poet, essayist, and short story writer. Rachel discusses her new book, The Octopus Has Three Hearts, with Ingrid Rose. Hello, Rachel. So delighted to have you here in the Zoom studio. Oh, hello, Ingrid. I'm so happy to be here and just delighted to have a conversation with you. I'm so thankful that I did get the book before we did this interview. I'm just looking at the cover. Wow. It's shockingly bright. I love the cover. I think um, they did such a good job in in capturing some of my preoccupations in these stories with the different um, creatures in that appear in the book. And uh, I just love the way they put it together. Yeah, it's a shocking cover. <laughs> you don't miss it, do you? No. So one of the stories gives its title to it. The octopus has three hearts. And just for our listeners, so this is Rachel Rose's collection of stories that's just been published, short stories, and they're weird, wacky, and wonderful. I read that you had fun writing them. So tell us a little bit about the process. So I wrote the almost all of these stories uh, while my family and I were away um, living in uh, mostly in Toulouse, but traveling through Italy and through other parts of France. Uh, That was two years ago. And it was a magical time uh, for our family and for me as a writer. Um, I wrote them in a state of almost continual flow that I've never, I've never experienced a state like that in such a sustained way. And um, I don't know why. (laughs) Um, I think, I think it was something about being outside of ordinary time, being outside of our regular schedules and far from home, far from routine um, and just happy together that allowed allowed the writing to come so well. And I, I really was able to write anywhere, you know, on a footstool or on on trains or on corners of counters. And it just came. And at night, I would think about the story that I was working on. Um, and it was always in my mind. So it was just a joyful experience. And I wish I wish I had been able to have it earlier, but I'm so grateful that it came when it did come. <laughs> Yes, I think that I'm, I was really blown away. And it's interesting, I, you have a wonderful review from Barbara Gaudi, isn't it, who's the author of The White Bone, who said, I loved every one of these stories. I wish I had written them. And I was just saying to you, I think any writer who reads this is going to be jealous but in the in the best possible way. Oh, that's very kind. You know, I was so moved um, when Barbara Gowdy 
offered that um, that blurb for my book. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting her, but The White Bone is just one of my favorite books. The way that she understands um, the, the world of the elephants and she allows herself to enter it and allows us as her readers to enter it. It's magical and uh, so inspiring. And so I was grateful for that. Well, yes. And what I was thinking is you have entered the animal world. I mean, of course, in these stories, but just as a gesture towards that wonderful book about police dogs and your bravery. And I was thinking about this, uh, your versatility. Like, I guess this is maybe one just doesn't know. I don't think this is true for every writer to be able to write such different kinds of books. Uh, your, I don't know if your poetry was your first collection. Yes, it was. Um, so Margaret Atwood, uh, I'll paraphrase because I don't remember exactly what she said, but she she has said something about how writers, there, there are two types and one type stays within their genre and they just become better and better at it. And the other type writes in different genres and um, are more experimental. And she put herself in the, in the second type. And I'm definitely um, of that ilk myself. Um, I don't, I don't think either one is better than the other. It's really just what draws you personally. And what draws me personally, I think, is the challenge of the new, that beginner mind and seeing how something is constructed and put together. And it's it's actually funny because when I am working in a specific genre that's new to me, I fall in love. It's all I want to read. It's all I want to think about. I'm looking at the structure of it and I just find it infinitely fascinating. And I have no love for any other genre, particularly the one I just did. And I think at the time that it's permanent, oh, I'm done with poetry. I just, I'm done with it. That's not true. I have learned that that's not true, but I do become a bit obsessive about it. Well, rightly so. All these <laughs> characters... <laughs> <laughs> that meet in the, these stories, they're certainly extreme, <laughs> to put it mildly. After each story, I would think, but how the hell did you come up with this story? Like, where did they come from? Oh, you know, I, I think that spending my formative years in the U.S., <laughs> Um, and and with some of the experiences that I had, I am acquainted with violence and with some of these strange um, misfit people. Uh, they're not unfamiliar to me. <laughs> um, of course, the, the characters are all made up, um, but they're not unfamiliar to me at the same time. They're not beyond my realm of experience. And that's true also for the creatures. You know, we, we took care of um, an African gray parrot, for example, uh, Guapa, who stayed with us for weeks at a time. And uh, I, I've had chameleons. I've, uh, I've had relationships with bats and rats. And so the creatures and the, the misfit or just unpleasant or flawed characters, yeah, they're, they're extreme, but they're... Um, they're part of my world. <laughs> the interesting thing is, having said that they're extreme, 
I could relate. I don't know if there were people that I would want to become very friendly with, but while I'm reading them and living, they're extraordinarily likable. From the first story, like the first line, and I was totally in that woman's headspace. I'm so pleased to hear that because I know a lot of people won't find them likable. And I really deliberately wanted to um, go there with these characters because in a way these stories are, are, um, are arguments or they're little uh, opportunities for the reader uh, to go into uh, a subject and, and, and look at the complexity of it with these characters who, um, who are flawed, deeply flawed people um, who may have committed crimes, who may who are definitely traumatized, but may have also caused trauma. Um, and so I, I'm glad that you like them. And I also want you to be challenged by them because I hope that they will invite readers to think about the boundaries that we draw between ourselves and the other, whether that other is uh, a beast, an animal creature, or whether that other is a human being who's done something um, that we define as, as reprehensible and unforgivable. Well, I think your timing couldn't be better. Well, thank you so much. Well, because it, to me, it seems so relevant at this point, because if we aren't able to step out of our shoes into very uncomfortable shoes, next to us we're not going to make much headway in our world i agree we're not even going to make it no. we're not going to make it and i think that's true whether uh, we're talking about our relationship to other human beings or our relationship to the natural world and those boundaries i find fascinating you know i just watched um, my son told me Mom, you really need to watch my octopus teacher. And I just watched it and I was so struck by um, what, uh, oh my goodness, what is his name? Uh, Craig Foster, what he said about connecting with the octopus and how he allowed his boundaries to dissolve and how when um, a shark pulled off one of her um, arms and ate it, he felt that he had been violated, he had been attacked. And he also said that when he was, he, he felt the boundaries dissolve in the ecosystem of the kelp forest. And that his goal was to become partly amphibian entering that world. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful and wise. And for me, some of the most profound moments in my life have been when the boundaries have dissolved between me and the natural world. Um, and there've been a few very specific points in time where that's happened. And so I wanted to have that as a running theme for, for my characters, that they have that ability and that desire, or it just happens to them. It's not something that they seek, but I do think that's hopeful. And another novelist that I'll bring up, Richard Powers, he, he wrote The Overstory and he writes uh, of characters who have this permeability so that they can commune with trees. Um, and I think while boundaries can be incredibly useful and important and, you know, the boundary of skin to keep out bacteria or a virus and um, 
boundaries can also separate us from those that we despise. And so I wanted to challenge challenge that. I, I found it, I was actually rather delighted when I saw the title because the octopus has been um, the role model for the movement practice that I follow. And uh, the woman who created this, she said that the octopus is the future because of the octopus's ability to morph in so many ways, their curiosity. And I think there's that in this book that I think will lead us all further in our awareness. There's curiosity. Like the, the characters, they are curious. They are, you're curious about them, what makes them tick. And it, yes, I, you're a curious writer, Rachel. I love that you say that. That means everything to me because, yes, I am. And my ideal reader is a curious reader. And she is willing to go there with me and interested in going there with me uh, to these places where, where these very damaged characters have ended up. And um, she's curious about how they've ended up there and how they will proceed with the rest of their lives. And uh, yeah, that means so much to me. Thank you, Ingrid, for, for recognizing that. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit more of the backstory. And in a moment, we will be listening to you reading from the first story. Yes. Are you allowed to read the whole story? You know, I think I won't read the whole story, um, but I'll read a good enough to let the reader know exactly where where it's taking place and what the central themes are. And I think I'll leave it at that. That's wonderful. Thank you. My pleasure, my pleasure. Cigarette, demanded the punk, getting right in my face as I walked past him with my mango smoothie. He was an angry white man with a face tattoo and a black rat on his shoulder. Half his face was inked to mimic a skull, black around his eye, a triangle on half his nose, teeth and gums and black ink around his jaw, a skull on top of a skull and piercings in the tats. It seemed so redundant that I grinned. Sorry, I don't smoke. Spare change? Sorry, no change, I said, patting my pockets, which was the truth. But sorry was obviously not what he wanted to hear, because as I walked by, the punk punched me in the stomach. The rat gripped him with its claws, swinging its tail for ballast and hanging on tight as the punk hit me. I dropped my smoothie, mango slush, all over the sidewalk and doubled over. When I could stand up again, he was nearly out of sight, weaving around cars at something between a jog and a run. I held my stomach, trying to catch my breath, and then I carefully stood up and began to walk down the street. 
I found it hard to walk. I was dizzy. That punch hurt so bad. I leaned against the wall next to the Starbucks. A mom was sitting at a table, nursing her toddler. Excuse me, are you okay? She asked me. He hit you pretty hard. I took my hand away so I could brace myself against the wall. Oh my God, said the mom. I looked down. Blood leaked through my t-shirt. The toddler pulled off the boob with a loud pop and stared. Owie, he said, pointing at me. Her nipple shed a fine spray of milk until she tucked it back in her blouse. I wobbled. Sit down. I think you got stabbed. I think he stabbed you, said the mom, reaching for her phone. Can I get some help here? That's all I remember. It was like staring into the sun. Everything went red after that. I often thought about that punk and his rat in the long days and nights of my recovery. His knife pierced my large intestine and I went septic. I had to have a length of bowel removed, and for six months after, I walked around tethered to a bag of my own shit. I lost over a 100 pounds. The police interviewed me, of course. They told me it might be too late to catch the punk. But that turned out not to be true, because he did the same thing to someone else, a dude this time. I thought we should meet up for support or commiseration, but the doctor said they couldn't release the other victim's name. I figured he was at the same hospital on the same floor that I was. That was kind of interesting. Maybe he's the one, I told the night nurse, Rie. Maybe we'll meet and fall in love and have a wedding with his and hers colostomy bags. Rie patted my hand. Be glad you are alive, she said. Focus on that right now. I was more ashamed to be wearing a colostomy bag than glad I was alive. I didn't want to be discharged from the hospital at all, ever. But the doctors called me strong, and the doctors called me lucky. Though if you ask me, that was debatable. And the plan to send me home was never challenged. They encouraged me to join a victim support group. I did, but the result was the opposite of helpful for my situation. I learned that people are terrible to each other, especially if they are related, especially if they are men. I learned there's a certain class of men who like nothing more than breaking the bones and teeth of whichever woman they happen to be fucking. This I knew, I suppose, but to see the result up close and personal was something I could have done without. I dropped out of the group and tried to pick up the pieces of my life. As the doctors constantly reminded me, I was lucky to be alive. I'm a fat girl. I should probably mention that or I used to be before I got stabbed. My fat was my armor, and I have needed armor for sure. I'm now a fat girl trapped in a skinny girl's body. That man stabbed right through my armor. I wasn't on speaking terms with my parents, but my twin sister, Stephanie, came out to stay for a week right after I got discharged. She was shocked to see me so changed. Piper, you look amazing, she said, meaning not fat. You look so beautiful. Yeah, this was the best thing that ever could have happened to me, I said, gesturing to my bag of shit. Stephanie hugged me. Not the best thing, but maybe a blessing in disguise, she said. She meant well. I tried to swallow the sarcastic words because the fact was she'd taken her vacation days to come and help me clean my little stoma, to drive me to physical therapy, to watch friends on an endless loop, to bring me meals on a tray. My twin 
We used to be so close before the incident that happened when I was 11, the one she doesn't like me to talk about. Dad and mom are great, she said, though I had purposely not asked. Mom's diabetes is under control. Neither of them exercises. Uncle Eddie and Aunt Donna are going on a cruise with them. Yuri and I are thinking of joining them, though I'm not sure it'll be fun. The problem with a cruise is you can't get off. Having nothing to say, I said nothing. What do you think, Piper? A cruise to Jamaica. Yuri thinks we should go since Uncle Eddie's paying. I wish you'd come for once. Uncle Eddie is mom's twin. Twins run in the family. So does silence. Steph left after a week. We both spent a lot of time staring at each other, longing for our severed twinness, saying nothing that was real. I got some assistance from victim services and got used to that term as one that belonged to me. Before the stabbing, I played poker online, successfully enough that my earnings ranged in the low six figures, and I could eat all I wanted with nobody judging me. I didn't have to leave the house, and usually didn't care to, except for between four and five in the morning, when my fellow humans were all asleep and the sky was just growing pink. So that's what I returned to once I was discharged. I took my shit bag for a walk at this hour and tried not to think much beyond the next crack in the sidewalk. After a time, the doctors tucked my newly shortened ball back in my body, sewed up my stoma, that little shit mouth in my side, and told me I was free to live a normal life. Even after my stoma was repaired, I kept up the habit of walking when the streets were clear of men. It was just easier that way. I wish there was some kind of city ordinance, women-only streets from 4 to 6 a.m. I carried five rolls of quarters rolled in a sock. I can give quarters if someone asks me nicely, or I can defend myself, depending on the situation. If you say I've been changed by the stabbing, you'd be right. If you say I've lost my trust in people, you'd also be right. Every morning was the end of my night. I'd get a Big Mac from the 24-hour McDonald's and walk slowly around my gentrifying neighborhood, appreciating my gut's ability to digest each bite. And so it was that I saw him one morning, slumped against a wall by a bank that didn't open for another four hours. Again, my first thought was, what kind of idiot tattoos half their face with a skull? He looked both satanic and unfinished. He'd nodded off at a weird angle, slumped backward instead of forward, the back of his head resting on a bike rack, so he looked for a moment dead. But I watched and saw his chest slowly rising, slowly falling. Something was squirming under his hoodie. I jumped back just as a pointed, whiskery nose popped out from one sleeve. I didn't scream. Fact, if you don't scream when someone randomly stabs you with a knife, you are probably not a screamer. The rat twitched its black nose at me. From his pocket appeared another rat, just the brown head at first, and then the whole creature. My stabber didn't move. I made a great decision without thinking it through. I held out a piece of burger to the rats. All animals like meat when they can get it. Rabbits, rats, birds, they'll go for the protein if they get half a chance. I gave my stabber's rats a bite of Mickey D's and they came home to Mama. They climbed from him to me like they were leaving the proverbial sinking ship. Stinking trip was more accurate. And then an impulse rose, not in my mind, but in my hands. 
I'd open a pocket for the rats and felt my sock full of quarters. Rats went in, sock came out. I felt its heft in my hands, looked around and slammed the punk across the face with the sock. I heard the snap of his nose breaking. His eyelids fluttered before he went under again. My heart was beating fast, but I was entirely unafraid of him. Had he woken up and tried to attack me, I would have done him bad harm. I know that with absolute clarity. But since he slept on, I took his rats and broke his face. I hope his skull tattoo never lined up right again. I hope I left my own fucking mark. Rachel Rose has been reading from her new collection of short stories, The Octopus Has Three Hearts. Your host for this program has been Ingrid Rose. Writers Radio is a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers, some well-known and others yet to make their mark. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling, connecting us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Thanks for listening.